Okay, it is Sunday, May 1st, first Sunday of the fifth month of the calendar. That means uh, May usually means a little spring, summer kind of in the season. If you have spring allergies, it's unfortunate. But uh, welcome to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. Uh, thank you for joining us. We have some new faces, so excited to get to know you a little bit later. And uh, we'll reserve that for fellowship. But as we go into a time of worship, let me remind you this day of our church's mission statement. We exist to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to make disciples, to love God, and to love our neighbors, to worship God, and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, again, these things, these fundamental principles of our church uh, will begin to make more sense as uh, we study um, the, you know, the confessions of our faith, and uh, we'll get there when we get there. But let us begin this day, the service, uh, with a call to worship. I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 1. I'm just going to read the entirety of it, six verses. If you can listen carefully to the psalmist. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Listen carefully to this last verse. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. This is the firm truth we hold on to. So we know that righteousness will ultimately be upheld. Um, and although we are sinner and unrighteous, that God will... Uh, deem us righteous by the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so we stand in gratitude today, uh, and it should humble us to our knees to know uh, that what we deserve, we will not receive because he took on the price of our sins. Let's close our eyes and take a moment uh, to meditate, reflect, and pray. If I could ask you to repent uh, of your sins and come before the Lord, seeking holiness, and ask uh, the Lord once again to cleanse us of the sins that we have committed. Uh, he has already cleansed it, of course, uh, eternally on the cross. Uh, but we come before him asking uh, that we would sanctify, grow in our holiness and in our likeness to Christ. Let's pray for a moment. Amen. Our question 55 for our Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, What is forbidden in the third commandment? The answer to this question reads, The third commandment forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. Remember that third commandment teaches us to not um, use the Lord's name in vain. And uh, what is forbidden in that commandment is exactly this, the profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. Uh, and we'll get to a better understanding of what that means again later on. Um, 
As we go into a time of song and singing of praise, let me just pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you as sinner. We come before you, Lord Father, um, despite our sin, that uh, Christ, in, in acknowledgement of the Christ that has died for us, who came, who died and rose again, we thank you for the gift of grace and the gift of faith in our lives that we could live out this reality now that we so do not deserve. And so in our undeserved state, uh, Father, we even in acknowledgement and in knowledge of this truth, continue to live a life uh, so distant from the reality of holiness. And so Father, we ask, um, Lord, that would you change us, would you mold and shape our lives to be more like you. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would, um, what is commanded here and what is forbidden here, not use your name in vain, but rather proclaim your name to the nations and be proclaimers and heralds of the truth of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Our worship team is going to lead us in time of song. So let's sing.
Lord, we thank you for the words, uh, the word of God that we'll be reading today, and may it uh, rebuke us and just encourage us in ways that only you will know. And yeah, we thank you, and we thank you for all the ways you'll be teaching us today. I pray for Max, um, that the Holy Spirit may be speaking truth and wisdom through him. So we pray all this uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. for joining us today um hopefully we have enough food for all of you <laughs> um anyways we're going to continue on our sermon series on first corinthians uh we're looking at the final verses of the 14th chapter so if you turn with me to first corinthians chapter 14 we're going to be reading on the heels of our teaching last week of course we spent extensive time on verses 34 to 35 as they require um they're a sensitive topic. So we're looking at verses 36 to verse 40. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 36 to 40. I will read, and uh, you can follow in your own Bibles. This is the Word of God. Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Amen. This is the word of God. Uh, if you haven't been following with us or if you're new to the church, we've been preaching through uh, the majority of, I think since middle of last year, about a year ago now, uh, we started First Corinthians and we've gone verse by verse by verse all the way to where we are today. And so a text like this could feel uh, a little bit empty for those who haven't been reading or following along with us because a lot of it uh, points towards things that have already been taught. So I'll do my best to fill those gaps. But if you're a little bit lost today, uh, just, yeah, just <laughs> it could, that, that's just how it might sound to you. Uh, but just note uh, that we have been reading the entirety of 1 Corinthians so those of you who've been with us, it'll obviously uh, make a little bit more sense in its context. Just keep that in mind. Um, before we go into uh, the time of our sermon, uh, we usually pray for an unreached people group. So today they come from Sri Lanka. Uh, they are called the Bhatgama. And although they're Buddhists, and they uh, or originally were Buddhists, uh, they reside in northern India. Uh, eventually some of those things you know, spread out to other parts of the country. Uh, and so today, they are a very traditional Buddhist uh, community living uh, in uh, northern Sri Lanka, northern India, and uh, other parts as such. And so we'd like to pray for these people. Um, there are about 382,000 of these people, and none are evangelical Christians. Uh, so it's a completely unreached people group. 
right? So zero churches, zero, tri zero Christians. So we definitely need to consider them and pray for them and intercede on their behalf. So the Badgama of Sri Lanka is our unreached people group of the day. In terms of the world and what's going on globally, what we ought to pray for as a community. Um, obviously, the pressing matter of the uh, Russia-Ukrainian war continues to be a reality for us. Um, the gas prices are killing us, <laughs> right? Um, but obviously, that's not the concern. The concern is there are actually people who are dying because they're getting killed, right? So uh, we definitely want to pray for them. There's some recent bombings in Kiev, so they're definitely uh, Russian troops are at the heart of the country now. And once you take the capital, it's pretty much it, right? So we definitely want to continue to pray for them. Uh, I recently read um, about a week and a half ago a letter from a pastor in Kiev, in Ukraine, and his uh, prayer request was uh, not that, you know, the war would end or any of that. Stuff. I mean, I'm sure that's stuff that's pressing on his heart as well, but his concern was that people would maintain faith in Christ, right? Isn't that amazing that amidst war, uh, bombs and missiles and all these things, that his concern as a pastor is continuously the maturation and the faith of his community and the people of God in Ukraine. Um, yeah, let's pray for knees to continue to bow at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the beauty of this world, for the grace you bestow upon us that so undeservedly, uh, the mysteries that exist in our lives that sometimes perplex us but continue to enamor us and draw our attention to the heavens. We ask, O oh Lord, this day as your body gathers, uh, that we would benefit from the reading of your word and that it would enrich our souls and our minds and our hearts today, that we would be challenged to continue to live out our lives in perseverance for Christ's sake. We also pray for the Badgama of Sri Lanka. We pray for their salvation, God. As none are Christian, they are a Buddhist group, lost in a philosophy that teaches uh, anti-Christological teachings. We ask, O oh Lord, that they would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We ask, also ask for Ukraine and the Church of Ukraine and the many brothers and sisters who are there currently living out a reality that is likely um, reminiscent of a nightmare for most of us, if not all of us. We ask that even in the midst of fear of loss of life, in the midst of fear of a dismal future, that they are able to hold fast to Christ as Christ holds fast to them. We thank you, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so our sermon is entitled, Let Him Recognize. Uh, it might be a little bit different on the stream. I just realized I put a different title there. But anyways, Let Him Recognize. Uh, comes straight from the text. It's in reference to the Corinthians. Let them, the Corinthians, recognize. What is, what is it that they are to recognize? We will get there. Um, just as a recap for those who haven't been with us uh, last few weeks, uh, chapters 12 to 14 focuses on the teaching of the spiritual gifts. Um, and they focus on, um, by comparing uh, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, um, and one is superior to the other in Paul's perspective. And in his argumentation, he argues that prophecy is better than tongues because it can be understood, whereas tongues requires an interpreter without interpretation. It's meaningless, literally meaningless to the people who are listening, right? Um, and so that has been the teaching, and that's the conclusion of the teaching. Uh, chapter 13, of course, has that wonderful poem on love, and then um, it really teaches the function of the church, which is to edify and to love one another. Okay, in November of 2021, what happened? Well, Disney released their latest computer animated film, Encanto, which Mikey was such a proponent of 
uh, on his Instagram, and uh, I ended up watching it because Mikey posted it on his Instagram story, and it was terrible. Uh, it was at best a subpar movie, subpar plot, mediocre level of creativity. Um, it was just, dare I say, a quite waste of t- a time for me. But here we are referencing this movie. So thank you, Mikey, for referencing that movie. We are here to discuss the quality of the film or the quality of the movie so much as the content of the plot of this movie. So let me recap it for you. If you haven't watched it, I'm about to ruin it for you. So whatever. The film takes place in the town of Encanto, located in some region of Colombia, uh, as we are told in the movie. The plot revolves around a magical family called the Madrigals. Every member of this family inherits a magical ability in their adolescence or in their childhood, and it varies from person to person within this family. Some are super strong, some can conjure flowers, some can talk to animals, etc., etc., etc. The idea is that the Madrigal family is given these powers, you know, back in the day by some like thing, like some love thing, to protect the well-being of the village people and to be a source of security and stability to everyone in the village. But the main character, Mirabelle, receives no gift. <laughs> so she does this like ritual thing and she doesn't receive any power. And she's powerless. She's magicless, powerless. And so she's kind of, you know, not useful right? <laughs> for those purposes. So it's uncertain why. The movie doesn't tell you why. Um, but because of this omission of uh, the possession of ability, she is like sort of shunned and treated as, you know, lesser than the other members of the household. She is in some sense outcasted, mainly by her grandmother. But the point of the movie, being a Disney movie, of course, is that whether you have what others have or not, no matter how great those things are, who you are is good enough, right? That's the Disney message these days. It's a movie that celebrates the ordinary, the plain, to give hope to the young people out there who might feel like they don't belong or conform to the world around them. They don't look like other people. They don't act like other people. They don't sound like other people. But it's okay. Be who you are, right? That's not the point I want to draw or make or draw attention to. Um, there are some anti-biblical sort of concepts in that or, you know, rooted in that. And that's not where I want to get to. But there are some things we ought as Christians all to celebrate in the message of this movie. Uh, not so much the quality of the movie, but just the content of the, of the message. Um, and so that's not the point I want to draw to. But here's a particular point I want to draw. The variety of powers and even the absence of a special ability so the variety of the powers like each member holding different powers and even the absence of such ability or power in the movie the message is this it does not diminish the importance and contribution of any such member to the household nor does it diminish the equal footing of each member mirabelle may be missing special powers that is no reason to say that she's not a madrigal. And some powers may be more practical than others. Like there's one girl who's like super strong and she can lift like rocks and bricks and all these things and obviously can help like physically repair things much better than the girl who conjures flowers, right? <laughs> but it's not to say one is superior to the other because of the variety of those abilities. And some powers, although more practical, that's not to say that the host of such power is superior in worth and value in comparison to people who hold other powers. I'm talking about the movie, right? Here's how it relates to our Corinthian story. The Corinthians have gone astray in their search for a reason to distinguish 
hierarchical positions on the so-called spiritual ladder. And in their boasting of such high position or low position, once it is attained. So once they've attained this title of, I am great, I am this really spiritual person. They would have called it the pneumaticos person, right? That's why Paul says, are you spiritual? Those of you who are spiritual, right? The pneumaticos, they boasted about it. I have the gift of tongues. Look at me. I am better than you. So Paul's adamant cry from chapters 12, 13, 14 has been this, that we are unique and we are various and we have variety in the church in the terms of the gifts, but we are still one body in Christ, rooted in one spirit with no distinguished value amongst its members. I may be your pastor and I'm called to do that, but just because I preach on a pulpit does not make me superior to you in the kingdom of God. Let's get to our points. Three points today and that's it. Point number one, we're going to look at the original source. Paul's argument against the original source of truth, verse 36. Verses 37 to 38, Paul's adamant cry here will be, or argument here, will be the Lord's commandment. That this is the, truly the Lord's commandment. And the third thing he'll do is just quickly recap for us his entire argumentation from chapters 12 to 14 in verses 39 to 40. And that'll be it for today. Let's look at verse 36, the original source that he talks about. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the original source of the gospel they received. Paul asks in rhetorical fashion here two questions, expecting the Corinthians to know the very obvious answer to these questions. They did not come to the realization of the truth of the gospel on their own accord. This is really fitting for us because later when we talk about the Westminster Confession of Faith in the first chapter and the first article of the WCF is... On the Holy Scripture and we're going to be talking about general revelation and we're going to be talking about the adequacy of general revelation but the insufficiency of it and then we're going to be talking about special revelation in terms of the Word of God the Holy Scripture and then we're going to be talking about the sufficiency of the Word and its adequacy in articulating truths that we need in revealing something that natural or general revelation cannot do we'll be talking about that that distinction but anyways uh, before we get to that distinction they did not come to the realization of the gospel on their own accord. It was through the mouths of the apostles or the apostles and others like Paul and Peter and etc. Uh, and this, in the case of Corinth, it was Paul who went to Corinth and preached the good news. We know this as a fact from the record of the book of Acts, as of course the physician Luke records for us. It appears that some were growing in Corinth in arrogance, even going so far to say, that they knew better than Paul, they knew better than Apollos, they knew better than the apostles, uh, and they knew better than what was taught to them by those men. And what is practiced in their churches was premised on what they believed was better or superior. That is why in the line of teaching on this topic, Paul said in verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That is to say, everything he teaches in this letter is supposed to be taught equally to every church that any saint attends. It is important that all the churches believe and practice the same dogmatic truths. The apostolic traditions that were passed down from Paul, Peter, and others taught to the Corinthians and other churches are important to follow because they preserve truth. They preserve proper practice in line with those truths. But some in Corinth were acting in self-proclaimed liberty on the basis of what? Their own 
claimed higher knowledge, their higher wisdom, their higher spirituality. But Paul reminds them to be humble. His second question is perhaps more directed to a specific crowd. Did the word only come to you? So that pronoun you is really important for us to understand. Paul's question suggests some in Corinth thought themselves higher or greater. And to them, Paul says, the leveler is the gospel. The gospel levels all of us. It grounds us on the same so-called level. It puts us all on same ground. Thomas Schreiner writes, The Corinthians must not deviate from what is done in the other churches, for such a stance reflects partisan pride and a divisive spirit. Uh, Some of you might be sitting here today going, well, what gives Paul, a mere mortal, a mere man, the right to say that his teach isn't he doing the same thing the Corinthians are doing? By claiming that his authority is greater than theirs, isn't he doing exactly what the Corinthians are doing? No. There are 12 apostles that Jesus Christ himself calls. So there's initially 12 disciples, one betrays him, Judas is gone. Paul is a replacement of Judas into that group, and he's the missionary to the Gentiles, the others to the Jews, uh, and then to the many, right? The apostles were entrusted with the teachings given to the early church. The establishment of the church, the establishment of the first century church as we know it, was entrusted to those 12 men, nobody else. Later, when we talk about the Holy Scripture and how we can trust the canon of Scripture, one of the things we're going to talk about is that the 27 books of the New Testament, uh, one of the conditions of those books being part of the biblical canon is apostolic tradition. Does it have, was it directly written by an apostle and or under the guidance of a, or teachings of the apostle? So, for example, like Luke is not a disciple of Jesus. He's not an apostle, right? But he writes on behalf of Peter, right? The records of Peter, he writes. So he writes the book of Luke, book of Acts. So Luke Acts is uh, credited to him. Same goes for Mark, right? Mark is not a disciple. Mark too, sorry, Luke. No, sorry, I mixed it up. Luke is the Paul guy. Mark is the Peter guy. So Mark writes under Peter. Luke writes under Paul. Um, And when you have those traditions, right? Even James, the half-brother of Jesus, not a disciple of Jesus, but half-brother of Jesus, writes in accordance under apostolic tradition and understudy. Nobody, none of those books are written outside that realm. It had to be written in a certain time period under apostolic, um, directly or indirectly under an apostle. I hope that makes sense. So this is important. So those 12 men are interested. Why would you, why then today can we not have men with the same authority? There was a certain time period where 12 men were entrusted with that task. They did it and no one will ever do it again. That's why we don't believe in the modern church, modern apostles. You might have some denominations who preach like, oh yeah, we can appoint apostles in the church, right? Uh, men who are entrusted with these things. No, Bible's clear. There are 12 apostles and there's no more. That's it. After that, what we then follow or what we then use as a reference point to the teachings of Christ is the apostolic tradition. So you might go, well, where do we get that? It's recorded for you and I in Scripture. The 27 books of the New Testament is the apostolic tradition. That's why we adhere to this sola scriptura as our reference point of truth. Now, at the time for the Corinthians, the scriptures weren't written. The canon was not formed. So they didn't have 27 books to reference. So what did they have? Apostolic letters that were in constant trans, uh, transition and, and transmission across the New Testament world. And they had the apostles themselves, like physically, who could visit them and speak to them. 
So they had to adhere to these things. Otherwise, it would just be chaos. You would have the, like the Corinthian church just being like, well, I mean, I'm gifted too. I can prophesy. I have teachings I want to share. But if they don't align with the dogmatic truths of the church, it cannot be trusted. We'll get there when we talk about uh, the first chapter and the first article of the WCF, but um, I hope that makes sense for now. So that's why Paul can speak on this accord, on this level of authority. He's not saying he's better than them. He's saying you must trust the truth that we have been entrusted with. Second point, the Lord's commandment. So he gets to this even further. He digs deeper here, okay? Um, verses 37 to 38. You may recall, I don't know if you would, but if you do, it, I'd be very happy. But you may recall the opening verses of the 12th chapter, uh, the opening verses of this argument altogether on spiritual gifts back in chapter 12. Remember verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What did we talk about there? In verse 3 of chapter 12, we're saying uh, Paul is laying the grounds for what unites us. Our union with Christ is dictated by the work of the Spirit in us to regenerate us, to be gospel believers who declare Jesus is Lord. That is the Christian. So he defines what the Christian is, and then he articulates and teaches on the variety of gifts and the various gifts and the uniqueness of each person within the body of Christ, yet being one, right? Proclaimers of Jesus is Lord. So that was the opening sort of foundational point. He then ends his, in chapter 14, as we read here today, he ends with what? Saying, all of this I've, te I've been teaching you. This is the Lord's commandment. It is not my own. The source, the original source, is Jesus himself. There, in, verse, uh, in chapter, three, verse, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul laid the foundation that holds true in the heart and mind of every believer, that Jesus is Lord. And that truth, although preached to them by God's ministers, it is engraved and received by faith in the believer as a work of the Holy Spirit in them. It is fitting and by no means a coincidence in the opinion of this lowly pastoral mind that Paul would sandwich his entire argument against the spiritual gifts, knowing full well that it would cause division in the conversations in Corinth with the main principal truth that unites us all as the saints, our declaration that Jesus is Lord. That is Jesus. Jesus is the bread to our sandwich. Like he is the one that encloses us, unites us, bring us brings us together. You guys ever have like a no-carb Big Mac or a no-carb uh, sandwich? It's just the middle part. It's all just like, isn't that just a salad? Like what is that? Like why are they charging for that? Anyways, it's an uncut salad, right? It's a piece of lettuce, piece of tomato, piece of pickle, like whatever, and then piece of meat. Um, but what Paul is saying is, look, I'm sandwiching this entire argument on division and, and argument and, and, and difference and all these things. I'm sandwiching it on the thing that unites us. Jesus. Chapter 12 begins with the teaching of who we are in Christ. Chapter 14 ends the argument with the, with the point. This is Christ's command. This is the Lord, our Lord, who we declare as Lord, right? So it is truly fitting that it is Jesus, his Lordship and his command that rules us, not our own thinking or our own proclamations. So in these verses, Paul reminds the Corinthians who are beginning to deviate from mainline teaching and practice that what must be recognized in not only Paul's teaching, but the apostolic tradition as a whole is that it is ruled and governed and dictated 
by Christ himself. Now you might say, well, when did Christ give them these commands? Like when did Christ, great commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all my commandments. What about Paul? He wasn't there. He hated Christians. Well, later on in the vision in Damascus, on the road to Damascus, you will be my instrument to the Gentiles. So that's, that's what Paul is trying to get at. He's not saying, listen to me. He's saying, listen to Christ. Paul is teaching and acting on the court of the Lord's commandment, not by any other agenda. This is an extraordinary claim that even in the time of the writing of the New Testament canon, Paul was addressing a church that was deviating away from Christological teaching. And so Paul's inference is to lead them back to safe, fundamental, sound teaching as a reference point to what? To filter and decipher the prophecies that were being taught in their local churches in his time to determine whether they are legitimate teachings or not. This is the same thing I'm asking you and I'm asking the church to do today. That's what the same thing that all of us should be asking of the church today. Don't just take every single word, even from my mouth, spoken on the pulpit as truth, but compare it to the filter God has given you, His holy word, the Bible. Filter it. Filter the pulpit. Don't just take every word spoken to you as the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Let that regulate what is true, what is done, and what is not. In Paul's time, he is saying this, that the apostles were entrusted with the depositing of such truth so as to guide the early church in its infancy and its establishment so as to grow faithfully in the true teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is the same tradition we carry on today. This is why when we send missionaries out globally, we don't want them to just go in and start teaching like cultural truths or cultural practices. We want them to teach and provide biblical truths that are grounded in the word of God. You wouldn't want a missionary to just go into like a completely unreached people group, go in with his own ideas and his own thoughts and just set his own agenda. You would want him to go in armed with the word of God and teach it faithfully. That's what you would want, just like Paul. This is remarkable to hear that in New Testament times, the same reality we are dealing with today was existent back then. But let us not ignore the consequences that Paul outlines for us. It's a big consequence. These are bold claims from Paul. That one who fails to recognize that which is of the Lord and that which is not will not be recognized by God. A warning well worth for the church today to take heed to. You might have heard the saying, you are what you eat. The church is what it eats. So it is easy to see that it is criti critical for us to consider what is being fed. Final recap that Paul gives us is found in verses 39 to 40. There's no main point to make here. It is what Paul writes is the point. It should be pretty clear to you. When you read these verses, a final reiteration of what has been taught is given to us. Paul reminds us that prophecy is to be desired over tongues, but that it is that is not to say that tongues is to be ignored or discredited or forbidden. The context is public worship. When the church gathers, do not have tongues 
used unless there is an interpreter. And if there's prophecy, filter it, right? Judge it. Judge to see if it's the word of God. But each element of corporate worship should be in line with orderly fashion, what is honorable and proper before God. You know what I hear when I read teachings like this in scripture? And this is something I wasn't taught as a young person in church and something I certainly wasn't taught growing up in the church, which is this, that there's a wrong way to worship God. I was always told that there's liberty in worship. That's free. That Christ, you know, the veil's been torn. You can go to Christ. Do whatever you want. Sing the songs you want to sing. Pray the prayers you want to pray. You know, treat the word whatever way you want to treat it. There's no reverence in that. There's no thoughtfulness in that. And you might think, well, that's too rigid. That's too restrictive. That's not, that's not good. That's not healthy for people to have restriction in religion because all they associate with religion and Christianity is this rigidness. And what I tell you is that's exactly what we would want. We want our worship regulated by truth. We want it regulated by the Bible. We want it to be the most honorable to God. I give this example often, but if you were to proclaim your love to someone, like promposals or like, you know, anything else, right? Remember when you were like a high school kid and you wanted to, you know, confess your love to your, your high school crush? You just go up to them and just blabber anything you want. You prepare what you're going to say. You prepare what you're going to do. You decorate their locker and embarrass them in front of their friends. You do whatever it takes to get their attention. You do what you know they would want. You don't do what you want. I had a crush in high school. You know, I waited at the bus stop every single day after school for like 15 minutes. Even if she came out like after like studying with her friends, I would wait an hour in the cold in the, at the bus stops just so I could be on the bus with her for the next 12 minutes. I did that every single day for eight months, every single year in high school from grade nine to 12. So much time wasted, right? <laughs> so stupid, right? You know, one time I changed my locker just to be like on her floor. So I could see her like just a couple of seconds, like every single day. All really stupid, right? But it's because I really wanted to get her attention. I really wanted to see what could I do that would please her, that would impress her. When I found out she loves Pokemon, guess what I loved all of a sudden? I love Pokemon, right? Stuff like that. Ridiculous, right? It's amazing. What happens when you fall in love? So if you come before God and you go, I'll sing the songs I want. I will pray the prayers I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live this Christian life tweaked in the way that I want to live it out. My question to you is, do you love God? He's giving you a principle to follow. And you're willing to ignore that and do it your way. Not you. I'm not directing it directly at you. I'm saying the church as a whole. We've fallen into the trap of liberty. You know why? Because our worship has become centered on us. How we feel about it. Throughout Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we've observed a consistent pattern of thinking and behavior that lies at the root of many of the issues Paul has addressed in this community. For example, earlier in the letter, he addressed Sophia, Greek word for wisdom and their desire to be wiser than others as a sign of evidence of their higher spirituality or remember the spiritual women who claim future glorified realities about themselves in the present so far as to just ignore their marriages their earthly marriages to prop themselves up as higher spiritual beings we've seen Paul address various other acts of religious piety in the name of spiritual maturity when in fact 
it displayed a lack of exactly that. And then in chapters 12 to 14, we have seen Paul address this insatiable desire within this community to flaunt what they called their pneumaticos, their spirituality, by ranking the gifts. Isn't this petty? By ranking the gifts and placing tongues above all others as evidence of superiority. But Paul has taught us two valuable lessons. Gordon Fee summarizes beautifully for us. Let me quote. First, they are to broaden their perspective to recognize that being spirit people by its very nature means a great variety of gifts and ministries in the church. Second, the whole point of the gathered people of God is edification. The true expression of love for the saints, whatever they do in the assembly, must be both intelligible, so understandable, and orderly, so that the whole community may be edified. Thus, and this is the part I agree with, our gathering on a Sunday reflects the characters of God. It's no wonder a lot of people who leave church, one of like the most common things I hear is, I went to church, people weren't so great. I went to church, I got hurt. I went to church, I got disappointed. I went to church, they're all hypocrites, right? It's a very common thing you hear. And when I hear that, I go, yeah, I get it. I do get it, right? But if all you see is the hypocrisy, you have completely missed the point of the gathered church. The church gathers together not because we do reflect the character of God, but because we're trying to. Because we understand what we're trying to reflect. Even in our failure, we gather because we want that to be a reality. I hope and pray that we would be a community that gathers in light of our union with Christ, with one heart and mind, and that we would edify one another in that gathering. Some might have the attitude of, Remember Mirabelle in that terrible movie I mentioned earlier in Canto? Mirabelle's grandmother who saw her lack of gift as a flaw in concern. But instead, we are to look at what unites us despite our flaws and allows us to be able to call each other family. The only power or gift we ever needed was the power of the cross to save us and the gift of faith that receives us as his own. On that note, let's pray and reflect on what God has taught us today. So take some time to pray on your own, and then our worship team will lead us in a time of response song.
head of the church. We praise you as your Savior, as our Lord. Um, Father, um, I pray that, uh, uh, that when we look to sanctification, when we look to our lives here on earth, our present realities, um, that uh, we, wouldn't, um, we wouldn't believe that our, our salvation, um, that, it's, it's, uh, that sanctification is an option, that um, just because um, our identities, our, our status with you has changed doesn't mean that presently uh, there's nothing left for us to do, that the work that's, that's the extent of, of your work. But Father, we know that you are sanctifying us. We know that you're helping us in the spirit to become who we have, who we are in, in Christ, united to you. And uh, we pray that we would um, subject ourselves, um, that we would entrust ourselves to you. Um, help us um, to keep one another accountable in the faith. Help us to consider less and less of ourselves and more and more of you that we might uphold one another that we might keep um, keep each other um, continuing on the fight in our faith um, and in all these things father be glorified um, may it all just point back to you um, we thank you to for all that you've given us and we thank you that uh, through this offering that you may use it for your glory and yeah we um we praise you father we love you and we pray this in jesus name amen, amen. thank you so much i want to welcome all of you uh <laughs> this building's getting small for us uh it's wonderful to see all of you on this sunday uh hope to get all your names down i think i have most names but hopefully i can memorize all the faces and names and combine them all and uh, have good fellowship. So we do have lunch following service and I'm sure there'll be more than enough. So please join us for that. Uh, so welcome, if it's your first time, welcome back if you're coming back. Um, and uh, we look forward to getting to know you. All of you online, welcome as well. Offerings can be sent via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. If you're giving towards Asia Minor, which is the missionary uh, region we give to, and we are supporting two local missionaries there, and or local missions, so we have, of course, um, our local campus missionaries that we support. Please just note that in the notes section. We'll make sure those funds are allocated towards that. All of our recordings, video, audio can be found online. So YouTube, podcast platform of your choice. You can give, uh, or sorry, you can watch or listen any way you prefer. Uh, and then Bible study today, uh, following lunch, uh, for about 45 minutes, I would say. We're going to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we're going to look at Chapter 1. And we're looking at the, uh, the first article or the first uh, section, uh, and it's on the Holy Scripture. Um, and we'll explain a lot of the background as to, there's an orderliness to these things as well, right? So when the assembly gathered, they chose which, art, which chapters would come first, and there's a reason behind those things. So we'll explain all of that later. If you're unfamiliar with the Westminster Confession of Faith, well, even more reason to join us uh, for Bible study later, and uh, we'll walk through those things. It's also another opportunity for you to win a leather-bound version of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And, you know, some people have, have complained that I have a bias towards people, but uh, clearly, like Mikey won one, so clearly I don't have a bias. Anyone can win, right? It's open to all, right? It's a free gift 
to the undeserved and uh, so um, anyone can definitely win one and it'll be predicated on different things so please join us if you can we'd love to have you there uh, our men's and women's groups are discipleship groups run on a monthly basis and so Christina, our lovely offering prayer lady and piano lady, <laughs> uh, will lead our or leads our women's DGs. And so, if you'd like to join or partake, definitely talk to her or any of our other uh, uh, women in the group or the, the men. We have a men's group too. We just had one this past week, and uh, it was fantastic. By the way, I just give props to Mikey that he did an amazing job this past Monday leading our men's group. I think it was like maybe the best one so far. No offense to everyone else, but it was it was fantastic. It was really good. So I want to just give props where it's due uh, but no glory to you all glory to god um so softball um <laughs> it's a softball's a hot topic right so softball we have uh coming up on victoria day weekend which is in about three weeks or so and all of you guys are welcome to play right so if you want to play or if you're interested i know there's a commitment level to it involved but if you are interested in playing so i will be sort of like the figurehead of you know the softball team um but i've appointed brother Corey, brother uh honey as our co-captains and so they'll be organizing practices and any of the other like detailed stuff and they'll communicate sort of how the team runs so if you want to just partake or if you want to just come and just cheer us on the cam's really curious they're like why are we funding this thing like what is this like are you guys just playing around and uh, i had to like tell them what it was so they're actually like really in- interested in joining us like on a sunday to a softball game and i was like can you like cook like barbecue for us too while you're there and they're like blessed down right so you know just trying to reap benefits here anyways uh softball that uh, i think it's gonna be really fun so i think it's a great opportunity for us to kind of just do something together and uh you know just have fun hopefully right um anyways so that's coming up uh, so they'll communicate with you on that andrew's back from phoenix arizona um yeah so <laughs> it's not as dark as i thought he'd be and then uh, Tens and Cindy are back from their little vacation as well. And unfortunately, Tens uh, contracted uh, COVID. So he's at home, um, like just in bed. Like literally, I saw a photo, he's just in bed. Um, so Cindy's taking care of him, obviously, just to be safe. Uh, they're going to quarantine for a bit. So uh, if you get a chance, just you know, wish him well. Uh, lift up a prayer for his well-being and recovery. Uh, Esley, brother Esley, who's in... I don't know where he is in the world. Uh, New Brunswick, Vancouver. Anyways, a few of us are flying out to Vancouver in a couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to attend his wedding. And then in the summer, he's going to move here. Right? He's a former member of our church. He's in the Army, so he's, he has to live abroad. But um, he's coming back, so he got stationed here, right here, like Downsview Park. Uh, so he's going to work here, live here with his new wife, and you know, two more members to our church, another married couple. Uh, blessed for Honey, right? Who's no longer the solo married couple, right? That's wonderful. On the topic of marriage, I got engaged yesterday. So, fantastic. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all glory to God. Um, <laughs> uh, next week, offering prayer before John leaves for a. Uh, where are you going again? Europe? All of Europe? He's going like all of Europe, like everywhere. So, anyway, he's going to be gone for like a month or so. So,. Uh, before he leaves, he will pray for the offering this week. Uh, we get to hear that. On that note, on the note of prayer, uh, let's rise and off the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Please join us for lunch. I think we're going to have to set up some tables here as well as on the other side. 
And then if I could get some help distributing the food. Today's yukgyejang, very fitting to the weather. Uh, so please join us.